I don't know what your road trips are. Maybe your road trips are trying to figure out where is this guy going, right? That, that may, you may have that thought this morning. I'm, just, I'm gonna warn you, it's, it's okay. It's a part of the road trip. The road trip uh, that you've been on, may, maybe uh, it seems familiar to you at times. Maybe it's a route you've gone or maybe the, the landscape, the scenery just looks familiar to you. And you may feel that a little bit this morning. And there's these moments in the road trip where you are struck in awe, either by something that you see or the people that you're with. And I pray that that's where we land um, this morning. As we walk out of here this morning, that we would see that Jesus has for us a focused mission that he's inviting us into and a deep well to draw from. That is our prayer. We're gonna start in Philippians 1, verses three through 11, and we're gonna kind of bounce uh, around looking at some of Paul's journey. Uh, and uh, it starts like this. He's writing to the, um, to the Philippians, and he says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make requests for all of you with joy, for you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. You can hear the intimacy in Paul's letter. He goes on to say, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. See, Paul's writing this letter to a specific group of people in the city of Philippi. Philippi was, was founded, it was named after the dad of Alexander the Great during the Greek rule. A place that, that Paul knew on his missionary journeys. A place that didn't have many uh, Jewish men at the time. We know that because had there been more than 10 in the city, they would have built a synagogue, a place for the Jewish men to meet. But instead, he goes to the river and he meets a lady named Lydia, a seller of purple cloth. And that, I don't, I don't know how to translate that for us. Like there, she worked in, on apps and lived in Silicon Valley. Like that, that's gonna be the equivalent of what we have there. She was wealthy lady. 
she and her house are baptized. A little bit later on, Paul and Silas are walking around and this girl continues to annoy, to pester them. And they cast a demon out of her, which takes the business from those that owned her. And they become very upset. Paul and Silas get thrown into jail. They get miraculously liberated from prison. And right before the jailer kills himself, they stop him, share the good news of Jesus' rescue with him, and he and his whole house are baptized. A church is planted here. He visits again on his third journey, and now he writes this letter as he's sitting under house arrest in Rome. This place in Philippi, Paul, it's said in, in Acts 17 um, about, uh, they, they do the same thing in Thessalonica. And the accusation in Thessalonica is this. Paul and his buddies are coming here to do the same thing they've done in other places like Philippi, which is this. They've turned the world upside down. And so this is the relationship that Paul has with the, the, the church in Philippi. And as we read that statement, it's a, it's a nice, uh, like these are nice, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God whenever I pray. I make requests for you with all joy. And it's a really nice verse, especially if you're a high school boy wanting to impress a high school girl and just hypothetically you put that in a note occasionally to let her know your affection for her. I'm not saying that happened, but it did. And I'm just like, those are the types of verses that you search for. Like you're like, how can I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll like over-spiritualize this like way to say that I like, like it's nice, but we need to feel a little bit of the weight of the letter and the journey of the stuff that they went through together, that Paul would call them partners and the things that they shared and what drove them. See, this all started back for Paul, specifically in Acts 9, where Paul is on his way to Damascus to, to persecute, to kill, to arrest these Jesus followers. And Jesus confronts Paul. In his path. Now, that, that may sound okay. The only thing is that, that Jesus has already been crucified, been buried in a grave, resurrected after three days, ascended into heaven, and there he stands before Paul. This is problematic for a person that knows this stuff that's been spoken about but hasn't experienced it. Paul comes face to face with Jesus, and it is the beginning of a new beginning. It is Paul's beginning of a singular focus rooted in his mission that Jesus set him on. And, and what is that mission? What is that purpose that Jesus set him on? In Acts 9, 15 and 16, God tells a guy named Ananias, a guy that's just minding his own business, didn't want to have anything to do with any of this stuff. God says, hey, Ananias, there's a, the, the murderer. Um, Paul's coming into town. Uh, I need you to go talk to him. Just tell him some things. Ananias, he probably has some thoughts for God. I'm sure he does. Um, but, but this is what uh, God tells Ananias that he's supposed to tell Paul. Go, for he, Paul, Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is Paul's mission a.k.a. love God and love people in the most uncomfortable <laughs> moments of your life. 
And see, this single focus mission drove Paul. It drove him to Philippi, and they saw it. They experienced it alongside him, and it drove him throughout his life. Paul had a singular focus on mission. He had a singular purpose and goal. You see, it's one thing to, to say that we've got a mission and a goal when things are going well, but what we know about Paul's life is, is that these things actually unfolded, that Ananias told him would happen. Those things actually happened. He recounts that in 2 Corinthians. He's writing another letter to another church while he's in prison, and he's just reminding them, hey, this is kind of what I've been through, Corinth. He says, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Got to get a new captain. I spent a day, a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, <laughs> in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. You feel it. You feel what Paul is carrying, not in his own accord, but the mission so drives Paul that he's willing to wade through all of this to continue moving forward for the sake of the gospel. And in each of these places, the Philippians were with him because of their connection, not, not physically with him, but he, he carried them with him. They share the special favor of God. Because you know, when you've, when you've struggled alongside somebody or when you know somebody's story, it just, it, it produces a connection that, that is very different than just knowing about somebody. You see, intimacy is formed in the trying and the hard moments of life. And you feel that as Paul writes this letter. So what is it that the Philippians knew about Paul because of their connection and their partnership and what they saw, a couple things. They, they, they knew this. They, they knew that his mission meant that regardless of what circumstances he was in, he was okay. Regardless of what he was going through, he was okay. He didn't seek more and he was content with less. I, I say less because you and I would see it as less. Paul didn't see it that way, I don't believe. He sees it much differently for, for him to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because for Paul, the having or not having the thing wasn't the mission. Being safe or being cozy or being in a house or being celebrated wasn't the mission. That wasn't his purpose. That wasn't the thing that, that Jesus called him to. You see, his platform changed, his platform or the location or his position changed, but his purpose and his mission did not. You cannot get, we cannot get those two things confused. Mission and platform are very different. Your platform is not the mission. You getting to a certain place in your job 
or having a certain type of family or having meeting these different life markers or carrying a title is not the, the mission. It's a platform to carry out the mission, but those things change. The platform changes throughout your life. And the moment that you think that your platform is the mission, those things empty out. They're not, they cannot carry the weight of the mission, the purpose. And in 2013, one of my best friends um, was killed in a car accident on the way home to pick up his wife for a date. And for me, that was this, uh, this, this, this um, I want to say awful, but it was, it was real and it was right. Uh, reminder that the, the mission is not comfort, security, and safety. The platform is the location for the mission to take place. Paul's platform moved from synagogues to prisons to in front of kings. And his mission was the same throughout. He shared the same thing with the jailer after the jail cells got broke open that he did with King Agrippa in the palace. He was an instrument for the gospel. So regardless of the placement or the circumstances, he was able to write this later in the letter to the Philippians in Philippians 4. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have a chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He had a, a purpose shift. And he was, had a single focus and a firm grip on his mission. And the question this morning is, do you? You know that. Ikimini Iwan, who's a public theologian, writer, speaker, says this, in order to be a truth teller who is speaking the truth in love and joy, who's uh, speaking the truth in love, you have got to be operating out of a deep reservoir of love and joy and fighting off bitterness and divisiveness and anger at any point. So in, in order for this statement to be true, that, that for, for their love to be overflowing more and more, that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, there had to be, there had to be a deep well to draw from. Paul drew from a deep well of revelation. And here's, here's what we mean by revelation. Revelation is an unveiling or an uncovering. For example, before Acts 9, was Jesus still resurrected Messiah? Was he still the rescuer? Did, did, did he live the perfect life? Did he lay his life down on a cross and spend three days in the grave and resurrect from the grave and ascend into heaven. Were all those things true before Acts 9? Yes. What happened in Acts 9? Paul's eyes were open. The scales fell off, literally fell off. So he saw what was there the whole time. 
but was just blinded to it. It's what Revelation is. When we talk about Revelation at the end of the scriptures, Revelation are the spiritual realities that will play out and we just get a peek behind the scenes as it's unveiled. That's the revelation. So what is the, 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 the deep well of revelation, the truth of who God is and what he's done that Paul drew from? What, what is that? We would call that the gospel. But, but stay with me here because if you go back and look at how Paul talked through the gospel, it's often, it is a little bit different than how you and I may think about it. There was a history attached to it where, where Paul's thinking, just like we sung this morning about the God of Abraham and the faithfulness of God all through the story. It wasn't a secret, but Paul spent time with it and began to see what the prophets had talked about and how it unfolded and how it became true. So, so here is the deep well that Paul drew from. That the God of creation made something out of nothing to display his glory, an accurate representation of who he is. He gave dominion to his created beings to bring order, structure, and to multiply. He gave them a work to do, to bring about a good work as image bearers, to bring order out of chaos, to take the created world and build and create so it would display what he is like. But in rebellion or, or mutiny against God's legitimate authority, man became a part of that which needed rescue and restoration. Sin and death ensued and it impacted the individual, the family, society, and culture. But God didn't leave them in their, unbroken, in their brokenness and chaos and death. He calls a small family to himself and says, I will bless you to be a blessing to the nations that they might know me. And through this people, he establishes a name for himself. And in his grace and mercy throughout the Old Testament, God demonstrates that man's best attempts to a rescue of themselves will never be enough. And yet God provides a covering for their rebellion through a sacrificial system. But because the sin is great and the covering is not of like kind, there's a yearning for a sufficient sacrifice to restore relationship and allow God's creation to be reconciled and made right. The corruption of humanity continues to spiral down and down, down. Until in Bethlehem, the fulfillment of words spoken centuries before by prophets would be birthed and the word became flesh and dwelled, dwelt among us. To live as a child of his earthly parents demonstrating perfectly who his heavenly father is. He withstood temptation and never did submit to the deceiver and never sought his own will or desires, but only that of the father. Then Jesus, the Christ took an unlikely bunch who had nothing in common other than the rabbi and told them to follow him, that they may become like him and doing so work towards the way things ought to be. He showed them 
while they watched, he did and they helped. They did and he helped. Then they did and he watched. And thus the model for discipleship was laid out. In his life, he lived the way we never could. And at the age of 33, he paid the penalty of sin for sin that we as his image bearers should have paid. He was accused of blasphemy, of setting himself on par at even with God, something we would, would, would never do. He was beaten and he was mocked and he was betrayed and hung on a cross so that he might be the covering for our sin and shame. And so our sin was covered. A like kind sacrifice that was necessary for a man to be forgiven and redeemed. And that's the end of an ordinary man. But three days later, Jesus rose because he's no ordinary man, defeating sin and death and Satan and telling his followers that if you have died with me, then you will also be raised with me. You, you catch that everything uh, that, 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 that Jesus carries is ours. If, if Jesus is your covering, then the old you is dead and gone and you have been made new. This is the great exchange. Receiving mercy, not getting the thing that you should have. Receiving grace, giving something that you didn't earn. That by grace through faith, you might be saved, rescued. But the gospel, the good news doesn't end there. The good news tells us that Jesus wasn't some figment of some crazy guy's imagination or a fairy tale grown over time, but that Jesus showed himself to many people physically, real, undead, making all sad things come untrue. Telling us this isn't the end as he ascended into heaven. You see the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in those who are made one with Jesus. We live as exiles in a foreign land, but God has called each Jesus follower to begin the spirit-produced work of making things on earth as they already are in heaven. And one day Jesus will return to establish a new heaven and a new earth. And until then, he's telling us to get a head start. Get busy, church. Bless the people around you. Lift them up that they might know God, that they might worship him as God, waking up, praising him with the breath that they've received, being transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit as their heart is being renewed day by day. This, my friends, is the greatest story ever told. This is Paul's deep well. It's a well that fills up even as it's drawn from. The well of revelation, the unveiling, the displaying of the spiritual realities in this life. So what if, what are the things that, that we turn to that we think are the deep wells in life aren't aren't really the deep wells. What, what if the way we posture and position ourselves in the everyday are just a mirage? A, a mirage. 
The thing that in the distance, it looks like the thing that's gonna save you, but when you get up to it, it looks like everything that you've already passed by. What if there's a greater reality to be lived out? You see, I, I just as an observer and walking through almost 40 years, golly, that sounds old. Birthday is December 30th, no big deal. Um, most of us, in, in my observation, most of us walk around bored, frustrated, pursuing a jello mission because we haven't grasped the unveiling and we haven't responded in faithfulness with a single focus towards that. We are, we are reactive to the first thing we think might work. We hit the eject button as soon as we can because we think, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna be taken care of. And guys, no, 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 I, look, look at my history with my people. Look at what I've worked with my son. Let that be the well that you draw from. We tend to not operate out of a deep reservoir of love and joy, which is found in the gospel. And here's, just, here, here's a way that I think that we can tell. Just some questions to ask. I'm gonna ask you to lock in on these here in just a little bit as we reflect, but, but what keeps you moving forward when everything is stripped away and you hit rock bottom? What is the thing that you bank on and what do you turn to in moments of stress or when you're undone? Is it, is it people or a position or perception, the way people look at you? Control? Are you seeking after a feeling? Is that, is that the thing that you're drawing from? I think a lot of us, when we experience those things, they're found wanting when we, when we hit them, when we get there. We think we found the thing, but when, re when reality hits, it isn't a deep sustaining reservoir. It doesn't have the capacity for us to draw deeply from. It's a puddle in a dry land. But when we wake up to what really matters, what really is there, that's Paul's beckoning to the church in Philippi. I want you to see, I want you to know what really matters. It shifts our purpose every single day, regardless of what we face, in the middle of what we face. And we are sustained in it by the one who called us to it. We are the people who don't panic because we are the people of peace, because we're wrapped in peace because we know that the God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And he is the source we draw from every moment. So what does this mean for you in this season? It's just weird, the season's weird. The, the platforms have changed. The locations have changed. The mission doesn't. The purpose does not change. The purpose and the mission of this house doesn't change. Your individual purpose and mission does not change. But what does that mean in this season? 
Are, 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 you, are you distracted right now? Have you been distracted by a particular platform? How can you step back into mission that Jesus has invited you into? Or maybe for some of us, we just need to discover what that is for the very first time. For you, what does it look like when, when trials come? What well are you drawing from? Are, are, you, are you tired? I'd invite you just to sit at the feet of Jesus who calls himself the living water and just reflect on the goodness of Jesus. So, so here, was, here was the plan, my plan. We're gonna get done a couple minutes early and just in solemn reverence, just gonna let you guys spend several minutes out on the back lawn or in the field just to take a walk about, nothing crazy. But Texas weather happened, so we're not gonna do that. But I, but I don't wanna leave this place because it's one thing to hear about somebody else's experience. That, that's the thing about road trips, right? Like we can share stories all day and laugh and oh, that was fun for you, but it's not the same unless you're there. And I think sometimes our tendency is to hear something and, and want to kind of rush down the road and just kind of be, be done. Hey, what's next, right? What, what, are, what are your kids ask? What do the kids ask when we're on a road trip? Are we there yet? Always wanting to get there and missing here. And so in this moment, right now, I'm, we're not gonna try to rush somewhere else. Let's just be fully present here and just ask the Lord. I'm gonna give us just several moments of just, just stillness. And we'll have some of these questions that I've asked on the screen. I just want you to, to sit through some of those. And if there's one that, that strikes you that you need to sit with for a little bit and ask the Lord to speak, to reveal, to unveil something in your heart right now, we're gonna ask that he does that. I'll close out that time of prayer. Our, our, uh, our prayer and ministry team will come down after that. But let's not try to rush and try to get somewhere else when God's saying, hey, I'm here with you right now. Let's look at these questions, reflect, and ask the Lord just for a couple minutes what he would ask for us.
Spirit, search our hearts right now. Direct us exactly where you want us. Put, put thoughts um, in front of us that, we, that, that are not of us. A divine revelation that directs us to your heart. I thank you that you have, haven't withheld anything from us. But you've fully given. And we, we say thank you and we celebrate that reality. But we also want to live in that reality. And so direct our steps as we leave this place. Transform our hearts. And then may the actions of our lives produce a fruit that bears witness to the reality of who you are. Continue your work in us and through us, King Jesus. You are the mighty and faithful one. We love you. We love you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Our prayer and ministry team will come down front at this time. If there's any way that we can walk alongside you, pray for you, we'd love to do that. Hey guys, we love you. At 1910 Church, we love you guys very much. We hope you have a wonderful Sunday.